This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tab. It's Saturday. It is the 4th of November 2023. We are park parping our way through the express. <laughs> You're listening to Double Tap Express. Pop up. Your weekly roundup of what's happening on Double Tap this week. <laughs> now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. I love how Rob tries to keep it together during all that nonsense. Um, how <laughs> that you doing, was Sean? ridiculous, Stephen Scott. I mean, I can only apologise to every listener that jumped out of their skin when they started listening to this. Why? Because... Uh, of that. That was a very loud part. part. I always it's remember. It's a train. Was, Trains are loud. A, there was a song by the Black Crows that I used to listen to back in the day on my Walkman. <gasps> Walkman. And one of the, the start of one of the songs had a car screeching around the corner. And every time it came on, it used to make me jump out of my skin and jump back onto the sidewalk. But wow. <sighs> Hello. I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? Lots to get through on the Express today. Um, yeah, the train is full of people today. It's a busy train uh, because I don't know if stretching this as far as I can go. <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, lots to talk about today. I'm going to play in an interview later with uh, Daniel Lubiner. Now, he's the guy behind the Braille Doodle, and it's interesting because uh, they're at the point now where manufacturing uh, has started on the product for real. So they've moved oh. out of the Kickstarter phase. They're now... Uh, actually at the manufacturing stage. And it's interesting to see how these projects develop. So today on the show, we're going to go back to the conversation we had at the beginning with Daniel all about Braille Doodle. It's a device that helps blind children learn Braille and even blind adults as well could learn Braille with this. So it can be quite cool. Anyway, that coming up. Also, uh, we're talking air fryers today. Yes, thankfully, finally, <sighs> a cheap, I say cheap, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say cheap. Don't say um, cheap, affordable. Okay, let's do affordable. Affordable air fryer has come out from uh, Cobalt Systems in the UK, only in the UK at the moment, uh, and it's costing £99. So we're going to hear today from uh, Carl Tillits from the company, from uh, Cobalt Systems, to tell us all about it. So that all on the way. But of course, it is Saturday. It is the Double Tap Express. And what does that mean? It means it's the Double Tap News with Grace Schofield. Thanks, guys. On Monday, Apple hosted its much-anticipated Scary Fast event, unveiling a range of updated products. At the heart of it was the announcement of a new silicon chip family, something Apple has previously brought out over a period of several months. But on this occasion, it was announced all at once. The new M3, M3 Pro, and M3 Max offer significant improvements over early M1 hardware. And according to reviewers with early access, it really lives up to the hype. With 3 nanometer technology, a next-generation GPU architecture, a higher-performance CPU, faster neural engine, and support for even more unified memory, they're the most advanced chips ever built for a personal computer. It was rumored prior to the event that there would be new MacBooks announced, and that came true. Two new MacBook Pro models were announced in the existing 14 and 16 inch variants. A new space black color is also an option now. With the power of the M3 family of chips, up to 22 hours of battery life, a stunning liquid retina XDR display and advanced connectivity. There's simply no other laptop like MacBook Pro. And even the good old iMac got an upgrade too. 
The M3 chip is now available as standard in the new 24-inch IMAX, which keep the same design and color options as before. Well, tonight, thanks to the efficiency of Apple Silicon, we're giving iMac a giant leap in performance while keeping the same impossibly thin design and spectrum of seven vibrant colors. With M3, iMac is up to two times faster than iMac with M1. And you'll feel its speed and power in everything you do, from multitasking across everyday productivity apps to exploring creative passions like editing high-resolution photos or multiple streams of 4K video. The new MacBook Pro range starts at $2,099 Canadian for the 14-inch model and goes up to a whopping $9,299 Canadian for a fully specced out MacBook Pro 16-inch version. The iMac starts at $1,699 Canadian. In a subtle but significant move, Apple bid adieu to the touch bar in its new MacBook Pro models marking an end to a feature that had a mixed reception since its introduction. Lastly, Apple added a cinematic touch to the event by revealing that the entire showcase was shot on an iPhone and edited on a Mac, subtly flaunting the capabilities of its ecosystem. Microsoft caused controversy this week with a decision to stop allowing third-party controllers to be used with its Xbox gaming console. The news angered some disabled gamers who rely on accessories connected to the Xbox Adaptive Controller, which allows people with physical disabilities to play games like everyone else. However, in an update to their earlier statement, the company clarified that any third-party accessory that is connected to the Xbox Adaptive Controller would be exempt from their decision and should work as normal, adding that if any player has any issues, they should contact Microsoft's Disability Answer Desk. The decision to not authorize third-party controllers comes as the company appears to be developing its own authorized list of controllers that can be used with the Xbox. Gamers with unauthorized controllers are recommended to return them for a refund and purchase an authorized version instead. The change will take place in two weeks. That'll give gamers the chance to prepare. Canadian eyewear company Celeste has made strides in the past month, delivering over half of its pre-ordered units and gearing up for more in the coming weeks. The company has also been collecting user feedback to enhance the product's reliability and usability. As the shipments continue, with a target to fulfill all iOS users' orders by early December, Celeste is also calling on Android users to get in touch for a tailored service, as their focus has primarily been on the iOS platform so far. Some notable updates from Celeste are the glasses' ability to stay connected to your phone throughout the day, entirely in the background. This means you can enjoy a hands-free operation, even with your phone tucked away in your pocket or while engrossed in a YouTube video. The setup and Wi-Fi connectivity have also been simplified, although Celeste assures that this is an ongoing effort to ensure the setup process becomes even more straightforward. The company is also prepping for significant updates in the coming weeks, with OpenAI slated to release their image model to businesses on November 6th. Celeste plans a swift integration within two days, aiming to level up its offering to match the hands-free AI capabilities of Be My AI. Additionally, the company is on track to launch a video calling feature entirely through its app, alongside other features they've got in the pipeline. The CEO of Celeste, Shub Matal, explained to DoubleTap how the glasses work. We're making glasses that will 
help people's vision loss get back their independence. And so we have a camera in the middle. We have a mic and speaker, and we'll let you read text, detect objects, uh, describe your environment, detect faces. Uh, we added a feature recently to tell you the make and model of a car to help people get into Uber. So there's all kinds of things to let people do tasks by themselves. Cobalt Systems in the UK has launched the first ever talking air fryer aimed at the blind community. Priced at £99, it offers spoken feedback through marked touch-sensitive buttons in a classic air fryer design consistent with others on the market. It will be available only in the UK from launch, but the company hopes to expand into new markets soon. Cobalt is well known in the UK for its products, including the classic talking microwave. Carl Tillits from the company told Double Tap this week that there will be an update to that device soon too. In the start of next year, the first few months of next year, we will be having a new version of the microwave and the combination oven. We've had plenty of time to develop. This one, it's going to have a new chassis, slightly new look. The keypad will be the same. The voice will be the same, but it will have a new handle and a slightly different look. Pringles has added accessibility to its packaging by integrating Navalens technology. Starting November 1st, this feature will initially be available on select Pringles varieties, with a full rollout expected by the end of 2024. Navalens technology allows smartphone users to detect unique on-pack codes on Pringles cans, which then relay audible labeling information to the shopper. This initiative aims to improve packaging accessibility for visually impaired people, mirroring a successful earlier adoption of Navalens technology by Kellanova. This is the company formerly known as Kellogg's. They integrated Navalens technology on over 750 cereal boxes in 2022. And finally, Netflix has dropped a new series titled All the Light We Cannot See, which has been creating waves for its poignant narrative set against the harsh realities of World War II, as well as for its authentic casting. The series, directed by Sean Levy, unfolds in occupied France and follows the story of Marie Laure, a blind French teenager, and Werner, a German soldier, whose lives intersect amidst the turmoil of war. A significant highlight of the series is the casting of visually impaired actress Aria Mia Loberti in the role of Marie Lore. This casting decision underscores a move towards more genuine representation in the media industry and has been widely welcomed. And that's all for the Double Tap News this week. I'm Grace Scofield. Oh, is that all? Uh, thank you, Grace. Uh, just, a, just a few stories in there this week. Amazing! Wow. And the one that took my fancy... Pringles, of yeah, course. Yeah, I thought that. Accessible Pringles. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, well, I did notice, uh, and people who listen to or watch uh, Access Tech Live will note that uh, I did make reference to the fact that we had two stories about chips this week, uh, M3 and oh. Pringles. Oh, well, uh, oh, well yeah, done. Thank you. Oh. Thank you. I'll applaud myself on that well one. Well done. You'll have to, because no one else No is. one else will. Um, now, look, you haven't had much of a say on the whole Apple M3 MacBook discussion. So no. wh- where are you on this? Because I know you're not looking to buy, and I know this isn't something you'd even maybe even be interested in, because you're not really a Mac guy. I'm not, no. But I am interested in the technology and the Apple Silicon, the whole M family has been a huge success considering, you know, uh, the last time they went that way, it wasn't a great, um, you know, the power PC and things like that wasn't absolutely fantastic. But the M family has been 
amazing, and it just shows what they can do. And with the latest one, the M3, I must say, according to the reports, it's cool. I mean, it yeah. is it is the one to be, isn't it? Well, it's, just... it's funny, right? Because they bring out these graphs, and the graphs don't really mean anything. Just squiggles on a on a screen, basically, but. They, I don't mean from a visual point of view, I just mean that's what they are. They're just squiggles with no real There's reference points. no reference, points. yes, no. that's right. But even again, it seems that, you know, at the early reviews that we're hearing about say that these processors are extremely powerful, which is interesting. Oh, no, of course. Look, from a, from a geek point of view, I, I'm loving it. But I just feel like we're powering through these generations of Apple silicone. Mm. Silicone. Uh, and, uh, you know, <laughs> we're already at the M3. But, I mean, what else are they going to do? I, I, it's great performance. I mean, if, if people want these, then, wow, they're spoiled for choice at the minute. Even the M1 is still an amazing performer. Well, exactly. And that's a really important point. Because there's a lot of people, and I said this, we had uh, Janine Stanley, we had Michael Babcock and Damasi Thomas join us for a review on uh, Monday, well, actually Tuesday, wasn't it? Because uh, of the event yeah. on Monday night. So uh, we got together on the Monday night to record the show. And I was saying about this, you know, I, I fear the FOMO for people on this. Because, you know, there's a lot of people who will be sitting there thinking, oh, goodness, you know, now look at this. You know, rubbishy old M1 Mac Mini or you know, know. MacBook Air, and you know what? It's absolutely fine for for most people. The machine that you should buy today, if you were looking to buy a MacBook, for example, if a MacBook was what you were looking for, then I would recommend the M1 MacBook Air. I don't think you need any more than that. To be perfectly honest, I mean, it depends it's a on what you're doing. Machine. But it, yeah. honestly, for most people, to do browsing, to do web-based stuff, even even. I mean, I, I say even, you know, you could edit video on that. You could edit audio on that. There's no reason why you couldn't. Of you know, course. It's, it's just that they're, was... they're trying, they obviously have to sell you something new. And that's what they're doing. They... Well, uh, when the M1 came out, that was the huge selling point was the amount of simultaneous threads uh, and, and like 4K streams it could run. And the amount of demos we saw on that. It is an incredible performer. And that's what I mean by are we rushing through these generations? But um, again, look, if you need that much power, I mean, Apple have got you covered. The M1, I, the M2, I, and the you. M3. I'm with you. I don't know if it needs if we need to move this quickly. Apple could easily take the, the foot off the brake for two years and nothing else would catch up. It would appear at the moment. Nothing else would catch up. Or at least it would give it the chance. Though, right? Because yeah. there was that, that time where you're waiting, okay, Mac, uh, uh, okay, Apple, are you going to release anything? Mm-hmm. And you're waiting, and, and now it's like, bang, here you go. Now, uh, two years later, here you go, here's a whole new range. Um, I, I, you can't complain, I suppose. I mean, it, as long as it's uh, an actual progression, and it seems like there is a, a performance leap here, then... What's not to love? You can go back and listen to the full conversation on Tuesday's uh, show on the on the podcast, of course. You can listen to that any time. But I do think there's a, an important point that Janine Stanley made to me after the show. We didn't get this on the, on the record, but there was a really important point that she made, which was around macOS Sonoma perhaps being the last operating system that Apple supports on Intel Macs. And that could be why there was such a push by Apple to get more people using Intel Macs onto the M series chips. That was really the focus of the the discussion. And that, that was certainly the point of the presentation. It, it felt like if you're on an Intel Mac, now is the time to make the upgrade. 
which would make sense. I mean, it's got to be costly both in, I mean, just resources and coding mm-hmm. to maintain two different You've cores. You've got to here. cut at some point, right? You've got to cut and exactly. run at some point. Exactly. And when do they do that? I mean, it's Apple. They're very brave at just saying, that's it. You've yes. had your lot. Yeah, I remember when the DVD drive went and people were just like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding yeah, me? Exactly. And it was yeah. just like all of a sudden. It was amazing how quickly it happened. Um, listen, uh, we're going to move on because up next, we are going to be talking about air fryers. I know one of your favorite topics, uh, food and mine, <laughs> yes. in fairness. And also, we're going to be talking about the Braille Doodle as well, going back to our first interview we had with Daniel Lubiner. As the product gets into the manufacturing phase, we find out about the origins of the Braille Doodle, the learning device for children and for adults as well. It's a fantastic conversation coming up with Daniel Lubiner as Double Tap Express continues here on AMI-audio and on podcast. Don't forget, you can get in touch as well. Feedback at doubletaponair.com. Have your comments read out through the week or call us on one 803 4567 This is Double Tap from AMI-audio. Email us, feedback at doubletaponair.com. Call us, 877-803-4567. And find us on social media, on Twitter and Facebook at Double Tap On Air. And now on Mastodon at Double Tap. Now, this week on the show, we had the chance to talk all about a brand new talking air fryer, courtesy of Cobalt Systems in the UK. Hi, everybody. My name's Carl Tillitz. I am the product manager here at Cobalt Systems. Uh, We have been making daily living aids for the blind and partially sighted since the 1980s, 1984 to be precise. Uh, We have made the first ever talking microwave. And now we're about to release the first ever talking air fryer. And that's exactly why I want to talk to you today, Carl. I'm very excited about this. Because we're, we're talking here about you creating, uh, as you say, the, uh, the first, I think, ever talking air fryer. So uh, clearly this has been born out of a need. Um, but I'm interested to know how long this has been in development, because obviously these kind of products take a long time to you know, come to fruition. So when did you start working on this? Yeah, in all honesty, um, because of COVID, it seriously hampered our ability to be able to develop um, with the shortage of components around the world. So we really had to go back to the drawing board and look at things in a different way about how we were going to do things. Um, but as the world has gone back to the the new norm, I would, I would guess that they call it now, um, components were able to come back into the market and we can get our hands on stuff. I think the best part about it was we actually got a bit of time to sit down and brainstorm about what we want and get some customer feedback about what they would like. And really, everything just kept coming back to air fryer. I think in the last five years, it's sort of exploded, not just in the UK, Europe, around the world, really, that the air fryer is is becoming a, I would say, an essential household appliance now. Mm. I would totally agree. The air fryer changed my life. There, I'm going to say it. It's absolutely amazing. Mine too. As soon as I got over the stigma of it's not a deep fat fryer, it's an air fryer. 
Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but although I love the chips that came out of a deep fat fryer, <laughs> the smell that it left for days was just too much for me. Yeah, exactly. But again, we come across the age old problem of, especially when it comes to air fryers, but we could say with any kitchen appliance, really, of accessibility. I mean, there's so many touch sensitive buttons on these devices or uh, LCD displays or LED displays that are just so difficult to use. I mean, most of the time I'm looking for a thing with dials on it. So at least I can add a bump on or something to I can have some kind of chance of using it and um obviously yeah. this is where you come in yes indeed now we do still have the display and we have touch sensitive buttons <gasps> however what we've got is a raised ring around the button so you can actually um navigate towards the button and you can feel the but the outside of the button and exactly where that is beforehand and then the touch sensitive button as soon as you press that it will talk. So if you want to increase the temperature by 10 degrees or minus 10 degrees, you have a plus and a minus button. And it will tell you 180 degrees, 190 degrees, one minute, two minutes. It's got a preset function with five different presets. So if you want to cook your potatoes or steak, fish, vegetables, it's covered. And in terms of the voice itself, uh, what are we talking about? Because we all know the classic uh, talking microwave voice and sound, very deep and authoritative, is my microwave. Yes. Um, but you know, is it the same same voice? Have you upgraded that slightly for this? The voice that you're referencing is John's John Charles's voice, and it is in the majority of our products. Mm. Um, with the air fryer, we've gone with a, a different voice currently. It is um, not as authoritative. John's got a very unique voice, shall we say. So, yeah, so far the feedback's been good. It's a male voice, still very pleasant. Um, and, you know, we're looking for customer feedback. Can I give you a recommendation yeah. there, Carl? I would recommend yeah. my mum's voice. So having my air fryer saying, <laughs> chips are ready, would be absolutely amazing and take me back to my childhood. So uh, I'll, I'll send you a voice clip. That'll be beautiful. Yeah. No, yes. Yeah. Mine, mine was very similar, apart from it wasn't my mum telling me it was ready. It was the fire alarm going off. That's yeah. when you knew in my household that the dinner was ready. I wondered if it would, you know, sort of tell you, hey, your food's burning. And, you know, you could come running in and turn it off and everyone would laugh and it was great fun and we'd all eat burnt food. Um, tell me a little bit about the design that we're talking about here. You know, I'm thinking about the kind of standard design that you get these days where these things generally are circular um, they often have usually a flat panel at the top where the buttons are. Is it that kind of similar design? It's not too far off what is already essentially available. It's just an accessible version. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, it's it's circular there in itself. It's got a four-litre capacity, which I would say is probably in the high mid-range of sizes for air fryers. You do have the extremely large ones that take up a lot of kitchen unit space. Mm. And especially when you've already got your slow cooker and various other things sitting on your your table, your worktop, it's uh, it's sort of a premium re retail space, I guess you'd say. Oh, I agree. I want my accessible slow cooker next, Carl. Are we working on that? Hey, that <laughs> could well happen. I don't, 
We'll, we'll, we'll put it to the viewers. If the viewers, <laughs> you can do a little poll. And uh, if the viewers say, yep, we want a slow cooker, then we will get on that, no problem. <laughs> okay. And in terms of the the cooking times and the temperature options, tell us a little bit about that. Okay, yeah. So the lowest it goes is 60 degrees. And the highest it goes is 200 degrees. And you can set it between one and 60 minutes. So and basically an hour for an air fryer is it is pretty long. That's pretty long for an air fryer, yeah. Um, and talk me through the the process of getting the food in. So you've got the normally you have these little baskets that you pull out with a handle on these yes. similar design, right? That's exactly it. Yep, there's a, a a very large handle, very easy to grasp. There's a button on the handle that you can actually push forwards, and as you push that forwards, you would pull the the handle out towards you, which brings the the basket out um it comes with uh, little grids to go inside the bottom of that there are a lot of people out there that also put um cut down greaseproof paper into the bottom of the mm. air fryer yeah. that's not an essential thing to do it's a it's a personal choice some people use them some people don't but after that yeah you just put your food in it's recommended that you use silicon tongs um, rather than your metal ones to avoid um, taking away the non-slip surface on there. But, yeah, just plug your food in, pop it back in, set your time, set your temperature, and away you go. And, of course, there's audio feedback all the way through the cooking process and everything. Yes, indeed. Yeah, so every, as you set it, every 10 minutes it will announce the next 10 minutes have gone. Um, and then within the final 10 minutes, it will count down and tell you every minute and then every 10 seconds for the final minute. Halfway through the cooking cycle, it will actually tell you to rearrange the food in case you do need to turn it. I know not everything needs to be turned and some people don't like to turn them, but other people do. So it is a choice. The fryer will actually, if you don't want to rearrange food, start up again after 15 seconds and then once the time is complete it will announce that the fryer is hot for the next two minutes while it's cooling down perfect and will it tell me the door is open or closed <laughs> please say yes <laughs> not this no this one no we we did debate putting it in there but no We've left that one for the time being. <laughs> but no, this this is really cool. I, I think this is one of these products that you kind of, it, it's very self-explanatory in a sense of what it is, but I think it is the story behind it that's interesting because there is clearly a need for this. More and more people are looking for cheaper ways to make food and this makes yeah, this more accessible. Uh, so how widespread is this? Are you selling this around the world? I mean, obviously we have listeners around the world. So where where can people get this from? Okay, so at the moment, it will be in the UK. We're hoping that it will be here in a limited number before Christmas. Um, it is available already to pre-order. So if anybody is interested, please give us a call in the office, 01493 700 172, and you can pre-order one. So fingers crossed, we're hoping uh, mid-December, before Christmas, it will be ready. Uh, it will definitely be in full stock um, 
by the start of February. Oh. But in terms of, uh, at the moment, languages, it's only the UK language. Okay. Um, we, we are looking to develop into other languages. So, yes, 100%, if there's a need for it around the world, which we believe that there is, I mean, at the moment, I believe it's um, 53% of households in the UK actually now have an air fryer. That's the statistic. Mm. And I believe the uh, the US, it's actually even higher. You've been around as a company for a long time. I think I've had your products for most of my life. It's, um, it's I, I must admit, cards on the table, Carl. I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with Cobalt Systems. I know this has gone slightly awkward now. But I have the <laughs> cobalt talking microwave. I've had a few over my time, which, you know, keeps me well fed, lovely. But I also have the cobalt talking scales, which remind me how exactly well fed I've been and really depressed me. But um, you know, I, your products have been absolutely fantastic. I, I must say they're, they're so impressive and, and just perfect for, well, if you're visually impaired. I mean, that, that, I know that's the whole raison d'etre, but... Um, yeah, they are so impressive, I've got to say. And as, as someone who's been using them for years and years and years, I really do appreciate them. I'm really interested in this. As, as I'm not an engineer, I'm not a technical guy when it comes to making these things, at least. I would have thought, somehow, I thought you would take like a pre-existing make or model of, let's say, microwave, for example, or the air fryer, and simply, you know, hammer on a speech chip somewhere. Um, but... It's not as easy as that, right? You you are making these, you're producing these from scratch. Um, the the company have actually done that previously with the talking microwave itself. That initially started with exactly like you said. It was uh, a microwave that was already out on the market, and the, the Cobalt came along and put the the speech into it. It was their speech that they developed. You know, I, I am making it sound very simple, and <laughs> I don't want to take away from the guys that put in a lot of the time and the effort to do it because it isn't as simple as, uh, you know, a couple of hours later and it's talking. But but you are right there, and it, it, it takes a while before you actually go, okay, so now we want to take it a step further, and, you know, we want to build it from the ground up. I think that's how a lot of companies start. They take an existing product and modify it to, to need, and then after that point, they go, right, let's take it a step forward further, have more control over it, and the, the things like now with the, with the air fryer, the, the buttons, we've, we've never done the raised rings around the buttons before. And it, it's something where we we tried it, we and when actually this is is very very good, you know. So it's all it's a learning curve for everybody. You have to take the customer feedback um, and just just keep looking at it. I think everything needs a tweak from time to time. They do say if it isn't broke, don't fix it. But there's always going to be just that little tweak that you can do to improve something. Can I ask you, since you're moving into this area with air fryers and you're coming, of course, off the back of other products like the talking microwave, is this a hint that perhaps you're looking into other areas of the kitchen, for example, that you're looking to develop products for? We are always looking to develop new products. Now, on a side note to the microwave and the combination oven, in the start of next year, the first few months of next year, we will be having a 
new version of the microwave and the combination oven. Oh, okay. We've had plenty of time to develop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's been around for a while. Yeah, I mean, it was 20 odd years. This thing. And saying that, you know, it didn't need to be replaced because it was doing fine as long as you cleaned it, Sean. Yeah, I think <laughs> 2012 was, was the last uh, modification. This one, it's going to have a new chassis, uh, slightly new look. The keypad will be the same. The voice will be the same, but it will have a new uh, handle and a slightly different look. A handle? So is it portable now? I can carry it with me. <laughs> <laughs> you can take it upstairs, take it into the shed. I wish. If they could make these things lighter, that would be great, because when I take them out of the box to check them... <laughs> <laughs> you need to go to the hospital to get uh, checked up, yeah. Yeah. Um, Carl, it's been great talking to you today. Thank you so much for telling us about uh, the uh, new product and even giving us a bit of insight into what's coming next year as well. Uh, tell us uh, again where people in the UK can find your product. And I will warn you, you are going to get a lot of international interest from this. So, uh, you know, if you're, okay. looking, if you're looking for the justification to take this product abroad, you may get it from, from our audience. That's not a problem at all. Okay, so you can find us at www cobalt that's c-o-b-o-l-t dot co dot uk that is our web address and our telephone number is 01493 700 172 anybody can just give us a call and place a pre-order for the air fryer or talk about any of our products that we've got on the go we've got multiple people in the office who are more than capable of talking through any of the products in the catalog uh, if somebody wants a catalog just give us a call and their address and we will send it out free post that's not a problem that's available both both in the catalog and an audio catalog as well amazing uh carl thank you so much for coming on to double tap no problem at all you're welcome thanks carl so there you go talking air fryer it is coming soon sean priest 99 pounds uk only uh but a bargain Oh, absolutely. Even I would buy one at that price, Stephen, and you know me. Um, yeah, that sounds absolutely great. And again, if anyone is interested outside of the UK, let them know. Well, we've already had feedback here at Double Tap saying, where is it? I, I think someone in Texas wants one. Yes. Uh, Dominique, wasn't it, that wanted it in <laughs> it uh, Texas? So there you go. That's one sale. There you go. One on the way. Um, okay, let's move on because I want to talk about the Braille Doodle. You might remember a while ago on the show, we had Daniel Lubiner on talking about the um, idea of a device that could help children learn at home how to read Braille. And you know me, Sean, I am strongly, I am talking about it a lot, strongly yes. encouraging more and more, especially low vision children, to get into the world of Braille. And it's something that we talked to Daniel about. And I thought today on The Express, we would revisit that conversation about the conception and the eventual actual creation of the Braille Doodle. And I spoke to its company founder, Daniel Lubiner. I was a teacher for 25 years. You know, I taught all kinds of kids, special education kids, uh, kids with autism, kids with learning disabilities. And then I started teaching at this school for the blind and low vision. And I started teaching art. And I had kids from kindergarten to first grade, second grade, all the way up to 21 years old. And it was just brilliant. I, I enjoyed it so much. And they inspired me really so much to start thinking about, like, what type of devices could 
they really use. And I, I'm sorry, I really get to care about my students a lot. Like, <laughs> I love them. And you get to really know them over the years. Um, and I found out that, you know, that only 10% of these kids are learning Braille. And, you know, before we started, we were talking about something like your story about being low vision uh, on the spectrum, like that blindness is a spectrum and kids who are low vision often aren't getting Braille uh, instruction because they say, well, you could read the big print. You don't need the Braille instruction and we don't have enough time and we don't have enough teachers to be teaching all these kids Braille. So I think that really puts a dent into, you know, I mean, that's part of the reason it's only 10%. Well, that's right. And, and you know, so numbers are important, but context is even more important, right? So, you know, obviously, yes, we, we can tell the numbers have dropped considerably, but the question is why? And I think there's possibly two reasons for this. I think like you say, like me growing up, you know, I was someone with low vision who wasn't given the opportunity to learn Braille because I was told, like you say, you know, the, the audio was there or large print was there. So I had options instead of thinking about the longer term and what would happen if I did lose all my vision. Now, I didn't lose all of it, but I did lose enough to mean that I was essentially print disabled. I wasn't able to read any longer and having Braille in my life would have made a real difference. So then I was starting to learn Braille late 30s, which is not great. As a child, you just you soak this up like a sponge. And, you know, as a child, you want to learn this. That's so, well, you maybe don't want to learn it, but you do learn it. You know, it actually does go in. That's the difference. But there's another side to this, and that is cost of equipment as well, right? And resources themselves, the teachers for visually impaired people. So the TVIs uh, or, or, you know, people who work in schools alongside children you know there just aren't as many the resources are less and that's another area right so you know i guess this is another reason why this device can really make a difference to children that's right steve because you know that that was my thought all along is how can we like make this great impact into these actually ridiculous prices that people charge for braille learning so what if I could make a device that could be mass produced like a toy, but, you know, so we could get the prices down for everybody. So we started thinking like $70, 70 American dollars uh, a piece. Uh, if we could start it off like that, I know retailers someday, they're going to have to do what they have to do. But right now, we're going to just try to get it out for $70 a piece. And that's unheard of in this space. And hopefully, we could just get out as many as possible. And then it was just difficult getting enough money anyway to, to get it started, to get the development, to get the prototype. So... I turned this into a nonprofit. So we founded a nonprofit and we're able to get donations. And also we, uh, we've set this up like a mission where everything is going to be circulating, whether we have revenue, you know, the revenue is going to go back into the system and we'll be able to give these out to students 
who may not be able to afford it. I was teaching, you know, loving it, art teacher, it was great. And then the pandemic hit and all my students went home and they didn't have anything. They had nothing to teach, you know, for art. They had nothing for Braille. So, you know, this really was like a magnifying lens of what the problem is, you know. But imagine like going through remote instruction and trying to teach a blind kid Braille over the internet. It's just impossible if they don't have something. So I designed the Braille Doodle so you could take it out of the box and start learning. You could take it out of the box and start feeling Braille and creating Braille. Because when you have that success, you have that modeling, you have that practice right out of the box, it's going to invigorate kids to keep learning and want to keep learning. So are you, are you suggesting that this, this product essentially was a child of the pandemic, really? Yes. Yes, it was. So a lot of horrible things happened during the pandemic, but this was one good thing that came out of it was the fact that, number one, you know, it came to me because I could not teach and the frustration behind that. And that's when I really started learning about these statistics, you know, where uh, 16% graduate college, you know, there's not even that many people graduate college or grad school, you know, and it all starts out. And that's 70%, 80% people unemployed. Where is that all coming from? You know, and I believe literacy has a lot to do with it. If we said we're not going to teach, okay, oh, there's a pandemic and we can't teach reading right now. You know, there would be riots in the streets. Yeah. Or what if we said, oh, we can't teach reading to about 80, 90 percent of the kids. You know, we just don't have enough teachers right now. I mean, how would people handle that? But that's exactly what we're doing to blind and low vision children. And let's discuss why. Because oftentimes the why is forgotten in that. And I think it's because, just from my own experience, the low expectations of people out there is almost as low as my vision level. It is just on the floor in terms of the expectations people have about a child who is blind. I was at school in the 90s, and I was being told then, learn to type, because the best you'll ever be is a secretary, an admin person, an administrator. That's, that is essentially the, the height of your career. And that was at a time when, okay, technology wasn't quite as advanced as it was, but it certainly wasn't, you know, we weren't sitting there with, you know, a slate and, and chalk. You know, we had some, you know, some technology around. But again, it was the attitude that was the problem. The attitude was, well, you, you can't amount to anything. What else could you do? Right. So, you know, we'll just take care of you. We'll give you, you know, monthly checks and stuff like that. Or if we're going to, you know, do employment, like there's all all these employment initiatives, you know, it's about like answering phones or... um, Which, by the way, is a fine job. And, you know, I'm not knocking it at all, but... But it's not, it's not the, that is not the ceiling. 
for anybody, frankly. It shouldn't be the ceiling for anybody. We wouldn't expect it of the person who is answering the phones. We would we would say in any company, the person who answers the phone today could potentially be the CEO tomorrow. When a blind person does do well, you know, and Stevie Wonder is a great example of this, right? Everyone always points to, well, you know, Stevie Wonder managed it, but it's almost as if it was a fluke. You know, that just that just happened by chance. Not that he's got any talent and skill and, you know, capability to fight through what I'm sure he had to fight through to get to where he got to. It was just a chance. It was just people being nice. I shook his hand, Stephen, about a month ago. Yeah. It was so exciting. I was like, oh, my God, I've been <laughs> a fan since I was a child. <laughs> I, I just think literacy is so important and access to mathematics and science. There is nothing out there, Stephen, that I have found that where you can manipulate graphs, okay? You can't take a graph, a bar graph, and just say, okay, there's 10 cows, three horses, five pigs, and then the horses have 10 babies. So what's the graph now? And when I do that with a student, like I'm testing it now, they're just like, oh, yeah, this is great. I, I can tell you my experience of this, right? I, was, I remember being in class and I remember my teacher saying to me, don't worry about this. We'll just mark you as having passed. Don't worry about having to try it because you won't manage it anyway. I remember being told that. And, you know, there was no effort made, even by people around me who, you know, I was lucky to be in a school that did have some some support for visually impaired children like me. But uh, honestly, even they could only go so far in their in their understanding of this. And and almost almost a sense of this is just too much for you. So don't even bother. And you know, as a kid, your reaction to that is, hey, I don't have to do any work today. Brilliant. Great. I'll d I can handle that. You know, as a 40-year-old adult, I'm sitting here thinking, no way. Teach me everything. That's the difference, you know. Of course, you can't see that as a child. You have to have you have to have adults advocating for you. That's the thing. And you know, unfortunately, you know, at that time, no one really knew what the answer was. Today, I feel that would be very different. But you bring up such an important point here about this, the science and the maths side of this, because, like you say, there are not much. There's not much technology out there that's that's kind of covering that area, especially in education for children. Um, and this is an area which, of course, is growing in terms of jobs. And, you know, frankly, you know, science and maths is, is a major player going into the, the, the world that now exists, you know, especially around coding and development of all this new technology we're seeing. Lots of job opportunities there. And there's no reason why blind people couldn't be involved and, and take part in those roles. So this is actually really key. Um, and it seems that you've really got your finger on the pulse here of what the education market really needs. What kind of reaction are you getting from people around the world on this? So far, it's been absolutely wonderful. I mean, parents and teachers, uh, you know, have <laughs> been a little gaga over this because, you know, I just tried to take something that sometimes it's made complicated um, and make it, kind of simple to follow and uh, and the price point you know so instead of buying one for the class maybe you could buy five for the class or one for each student um, you know so 
uh, it, it is getting very exciting. Like a, a person at uh, Australia in Australia has, you know, pre-ordered 40 of them. And somebody over here in America has pre-ordered 25. And another person has donated 40 of them. And this is just you know, by my descriptions of the prototype and the, you know, people experiencing the prototype, because I can't get the prototype around everywhere. Everybody wants to, you know, experience a prototype, but we're going to get there. I, I really think this is this is a good launching spot. I wonder about your thoughts on this being a tool for not just children, but for adult learners too, because there is a market there as well, I believe. And there's lots of us who you know, <laughs> we're perhaps failed by our schools, but still want to learn in later life. And often it feels like a lot of the Braille learning tools we hear about are aimed at children, which is great. And I'm all for that. But, you know, I kind of wonder if there's any opportunity for, for us adults to, to get in on some of this action as well. Absolutely, Stephen. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, the foundation, you know, with the concentration on the children, is just so we could focus on something, you know, where everybody could say, "Oh, we have to, we have to help the children, etc." You know, but we're really hoping to expand this out to anybody who could use it. And adults and adult learners have been very excited about it because the braille uh, on the device is quite large. It's, you know, like extra jumbo size braille. And then it gets a little smaller, like jumbo size braille. And then you can work your way down. Um, so it's really be good for adult learners who have lost some of the sense in their fingers or, and, you know, the, the other thing is it's just fun. You know, you just, pull it up, put it down, you know, I'm having fun learning the Braille letters. And it's, it's, it's just an enjoyable thing. So it's not like, you know, they give out these things. It's like one block of wood with a, a pegs, you know, and you learn each letter at a time, or you have a series of five or six letters where you could put together a word. But that's not how we teach reading, right? We teach reading by teaching the letter and the sound and then combinations of letters into words like cat, fat. And then we go right into sentences. The fat cat sat. The fat cat sat on a mat. You know, <laughs> it's it's not like one letter at a time. So, yes, uh, I went off on a little tangent, but... We're hoping this will be good for many people. The, the problem with uh, today's political correct world is that, you know, it would have to be the horizontally challenged cat, which, you know, means you need to learn a lot of letters before you can use that sentence. Oh. Yes. It's not a very, it's just weight challenge <laughs> weight uh, challenge yes i know the feeling um but i, I want to ask you about um about the international factor here because of course here in the west you know i'm in the uk you're in the us we're broadcasting in canada you know in these countries we have an abundance of technology despite of course declining resources which is another issue and all the rest of it but we do have already 
ton of resources available to us, but there are many parts of the world that don't. You mentioned India, for example, and Africa. I think about Africa as well. And other parts mm-hmm. of the world that just do not have as much access to the kind of tech and resources that we do in the West. And I think that you know something like this, I'm guessing in your mind, it, it can be universal because if we can get that price down, then you can make it more available to more people internationally. So countries like Africa, people in Africa can actually benefit from this too and can also learn. Absolutely, Stephen. And that's a, another really exciting thing is like, um, you know, because it's a nonprofit and try to set up like a nonprofit, you know, it would be great to have people step in or different organizations step in and say, okay, so I'm going to buy a hundred uh, to give out. And you could even do that on the Kickstarter. You could just tell me that you want to donate a hundred to South Africa, um, for example. But another uh, very exciting thing, Stephen, that I hadn't mentioned yet, because it's so many exciting things. <laughs> another thing is that you can put covers on the back. So where there's hundreds and hundreds of uh, of balls, you put a cover on it and you could teach Braille in any language. So I could put a cover on it and say, okay, well, here's a presentation of Braille in Hindi. Here's a presentation of Braille in Swahili or Chinese or Japanese. So then on one side, they would have the American version. And on the other, they would have the version in their own language. Because again, not everyone in the world speaks English, right? So you want to have (laughs) options out there. Yeah. Yeah, so it's and and it's really cool to learn about how uh, different countries have used these the six dot system in their own languages. You know, all, all of them have adapted it to uh, to their own needs. So we'll be able to teach that to young children or adults <laughs> in these different areas of the world. I'm a bit of a dreamer, yes, and I kind of. Really hope to see this like really blow up and get all over the world. Um, Fifty six years old. This is like a new, totally new venture for me to go into at, at fifty six. But you know, I'm I'm just hoping that I see this uh, this take off because you know I I think it is really wonderful. I I kind of say like it's it's too good to have come from me. You know, I know it's come from <laughs> the souls of my kids and, you know, I, higher power thing, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just like, wow, this is, this is just too much. <laughs> well, a lot of children are going to be thanking you for this. And, you know, I have to say, I wish something like this was around when I was learning uh, and growing up, because again, it would have made it possible. And I hope we can shine a light on it for people so that, you know, we know we, we have many people around the world who listen to this show. In all very different, you know, jobs and roles, uh, sighted, blind, everyone. So, you know, we're very, you know, keen to push this message out. And I am, as as I said to you before we started talking here, um, you know, I, I am a strong, strong advocate for children who are low vision and blind to learn Braille at school. Let's get that number up from ten percent. That's just too 
low. It's not good enough. And it has to change. It has to be improved upon. And we need to figure out the answers, the the other problems. But, you know, technology like this can be a, a major part of it. So I thank you for what you've done, Daniel. I'm sure many others will too. Uh, Daniel, thanks for coming on to Double Tap. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, Steve. It's a pleasure getting to know you too. And there you go. That is the Braille Doodle story. And it is now in officially in the manufacturing phase, which is brilliant. Great to hear that uh, being the case. So we look forward to learning a lot more about that product uh, and also getting experience of what it's like in the real world. Really, really interesting. Yes, it seems so difficult to get into the manufacturing process, but it's good news that it's actually there. That is it for The Express this week. Lots of news covered, of course, and we love your feedback. So get in touch with us. Feedback at doubletaponair.com. Call 1-877-803-4567. Sean, have a great weekend. Catch you Monday. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hadjar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.